Bienvenidos al podcast de Latino Founder Hour. Each week we invite you to spend an in-depth hour with us as we speak with a Latino startup founder from somewhere around the world. Aquí conocerás esas historias de éxito y fracasos, retos personales y lecciones aprendidas. And we have fun. We're live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Tune in at startupradionetwork.com. O en versión podcast después del show. Escucha. Listen. Aprende. Learn. Y emprende. Launch. Muy buenas tardes. Como les, les saluda Edgar Navas desde Portland, Oregon, en esta bella mañana del febrero 16 de 2018. Pues un día más estamos eh, todavía le mandamos un saludo a mi colega Claudia Cárdenas, que en este momento sigue convaleciente. Claudia, te mando un abrazo, un beso, pronta recuperación y esperamos que la próxima semana ya te encuentres con nosotros de regreso en el show aquí en, este, en Portland, en el centro. Pues bueno, eh, gracias por seguirnos a, a, a toda nuestra, a nuestra fanaticada. Esperamos que tengan una muy bonita mañana y... El día de hoy vamos a tener eh, como invitado especial a Armando Zuna desde Silicon Valley, nuestro primer invitado que no va a estar en cabina, pero lo tenemos ya en vivo y en directo. Eh, Armando, no sé si nos escuchas. ¿Cómo estás? Muy buenos días. Un placer tenerte aquí en el Latino Founder Hour en Startup Radio Network. ¿Estás por ahí? Edgar, ¿cómo estás? Muy sí, bien, un placer. ¿eh? A ver, si nos, si nos escuchas, Armando. Sí, uh, loud and clear. Loud and clear. Uh, entonces, a, a ver, Armando, una pregunta. Eh, eh, ¿te, ¿Te sientes más a gusto en inglés o en español? ¿Cómo ves? Uh, Spanglish. Los Spanglish. Dos, pues así nos la tiramos. <risa> <risa> Oye, pues eh, un placer, Armando. Oye, nada más, este, eh, pues mira, desde Portland te saludamos. No sé cómo está el clima por allá en Silicon Valley. Estuve eh, viendo tus perfiles y pues la, la verdad muy impresionado con, con lo que has hecho, ¿eh? Nada más ahora, ahora sí queríamos pues este que nos cuentes un poco qué es lo que estás haciendo y, y, y quién es Armando Osuna. Cuéntanos de dónde vienes, cómo llegaste para que nuestra nuestra audiencia vaya conociendo de dónde vienes. Sí, uh, pues uh, you know, my, my family was born and raised in San Diego. Lived there pretty much my whole life. Family still there. The beautiful part is uh, my father is from Tijuana, Mexico, from Baja California. Uh, so is my mother. Okay. Um, and ultimately, you know, I pretty much only spoke Spanish until the age of five. And it was a decision from my mother uh, after that point to really immerse myself in the English language. And she started buying me a bunch of English books. And as she started to, as I started to learn English, she started to learn English and so did my father. And You know, I also have two uh, two beautiful sisters, an older sister and a younger sister. Uh, we are all college graduates, all first generation, so the very first to make it. Uh, Amazing. And yeah, it's it's been a it's been a beautiful journey. And I think when you look at the idea of the American dream, I don't believe uh, you know a mother or father could be prouder than having other kids be college graduates when they themselves, um, you know, couldn't do it themselves, but they built the platform and they set us up for that type of success. That, that, that's great. That's a fantastic story. And I'm sure your parents are, you know, incredibly proud of you guys, you know, just to, to be able to see, you know, the, the fruits of their labor and all the, the sacrifices, you know, just come to fruition. I mean, I don't think there's anything better for a parent than, than that, you know, the satisfaction to see, you know, this is, uh, this is the greatest success I've ever had. Say, yeah. And 
I think that's the and that's the funny part. It's like, you know, while that's their greatest success, I I still always wanted to push myself to be the best I could be. So I didn't just accept that college is the end all. For me, that was just the springboard into really going after the opportunities and chasing the dreams that I was really passionate about. And to be quite honest, you know, for me, I didn't realize I was into technology uh, for such a long time because I didn't realize I was really interacting with it. You know, 1996, my mother buys the first uh, Dell computer and uh, she puts it in the in the family, you know, office and you know, just like everyone else, we're we're using the internet and we're on Netscape Navigator and I remember those free, days. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah, right, Edgar. Then we get the AOL disc. Yeah, and you get the thousand free hours, and they'd lock you in, and you know. But it was fascinating to me. That it was fascinating that I was the type of person who always wanted to seek more and more information, and I finally had an opportunity that sat outside of books, and it was something that felt so real that I could just think of something, type it in, and see if something popped up. And to me, that experience is, I think, what really ended up taking me to Silicon Valley. But, you know, I remember those dial-up modem days and I would load a, an article, go to the refrigerator, make a bowl of cereal, come back five minutes later, the article would be there. And then I would read it. And to me, it was just fascinating. I was like, how does this happen? Who's who, who's doing this? Who is making these products? And I think to me, that was essentially the, the first time I ever touched technology and, and really wanted to be a part of, I believe, uh, what we call Silicon Valley today. Oh wow, that's amazing! So, so uh, uh, when did you go? When did you move to the Silicon Valley? Did you just move for college, or or do you no, move after so, college? So I would say, so it was definitely after college, and you know, I, actually, the way that I got there, it's like you know, no one ever takes a straight path, right? Correct. I think, yeah. You know the the path to to what you want and to follow your dreams is always a zigzag, and you know, sometimes there's a lot of setbacks. But actually, my first uh, once I graduated from the University of Southern California. Uh, Go Trojans. Go Trojans, yes. <laughs> yeah. in, in, in 2005, uh, you know, went to the Marshall School of Business, uh, did, did as best as I could. But I think what the beautiful thing about the USC network is that it's a network, it's a family. And so I got a few opportunities and I actually started off in the advertising agency world. Okay. And so, interesting. Yeah. So I was like a, you know, online media buyer and I was dealing with you know, banner ads and working with different ad networks. And obviously this is 2007, 2008. So back then um, th we would rely on the advertisers to tell us the performance and the success of our campaigns, right? There was no kind of third party that was verifying those claims. So we're, you're kind of flying blind, but because, you know, our clients were really interested in, in just attempting to put something onto the internet and put their advertising onto the internet, uh, it was something that to me uh, was very enjoyable. But that kind of led me to understanding that the part I like about advertising is the digital piece and the fact that you can touch so many people with a piece of creative or with a message. And so that job actually was in La Jolla, California, down in San Diego. And I knew that if I wanted to be a serious person in advertising, if I wanted to be a madman, I needed to get out to New York City. Oh, wow. So, so you just crisscrossed the country. That's Yeah, I had to. You know, I felt like Madison Avenue is where the mecca of advertising. So I've always yeah. been that type of person. I've always realized, like, if I'm going to do something, I want to be in the heart of it all. I want to be in the hustle and the bustle. So, you know, I, I put my resume out and 
got a couple of really interesting opportunities, but the one that really stuck out was this company called an agency called the New American Agency, the Exposito and Partners. And the agency was laid by a Latina woman, uh, Daisy D'Exposito Uya, who recently was named Ad Colors Woman of the Year. Oh, okay. Uh, this 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 is a woman who worked at YNR, Bravo, these really big multicultural agencies, and she ventured out and started her own. And it was the New American Agency, and and she founded the agency with her husband Jorge Uya, a very famous documentarian, and he was the chief creative officer. And together they built this really, the way I like to see it is almost like a Voltron of talent, right? They had people at the top of their game, but they were Latino. And so I came into the agency as their head of digital. And, you know, she saw in me a young person who could relate to this kind of transformation that America was going through, where, you know, it was the the first generation people who kind of had got the college education and realized that the world was bigger, but they were kind of in these both worlds where they were still tied to their to their roots. To but the at roots, the same yeah. time, they're, right? They're still in this new America, and I think that's why she appropriately named it that. Mm-hmm. And there, I managed really, yeah, I re- I managed really big accounts. So, you know, I worked on the McDonald's business. I worked on Conagra, Mazda, AARP. I worked on the 2010 U.S. Census, and we won Media Campaign of the Year by Ad Week. So it was a great success. Now, now, were you working with these large corporations, you know, trying to target the Latino market or just in general, the, the, the no, regular campaigns? It, we were going after Latinos. Okay. And so it was really interesting because, like I told you before, it's like I'm comfortable and like, I can understand Spanish to a T perfectly. I, I can speak English. I can kind of go in both of these worlds. And that was my target. That was always my target. So to me, it was like I was almost advertising and, you know, talking, speaking to myself. And... You know, Latinos nowadays, it's like a remezcla, right? It's like this remix of yeah. people who are kind of touching hip-hop, touching food culture, also influencing hip-hop, also influencing food culture, influencing politics, you know, influencing uh, America when they don't even realize they're being influenced by us. So that, to me, was always the way that I approached every single campaign. If it was McDonald's, I would always look at the, you know, look at it from the eyes of, potentially a kid in washington heights right a dominican yeah and i know that i would perfectly well yeah right and so you know that they're so passionate they're so flavorful but i knew that hey i I need to get cheeseburgers in front of these guys are they going to be interested in cheeseburgers probably not but they're going to be interested in the message of hey if if you know it's not about the cheeseburger it's about the the ability to hang out with your friends yeah it's ability about experience Exactly, because yeah. that's exactly how we. That's how I always thought of these different campaigns, and ultimately, it's what made I think it really successful. And I think the years I was there, I don't want to just you know toot my own horn, but you know, McDonald's had record sales in that. In you know, when I was running a lot of their business, but, and that demographic, um, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, so, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's impressive how you can uh, reconcile you know the mofongo culture with the McDonald's or the fast food word is sit down slow slow meal slow cooked meal you know family uh, but it's a completely different experience but it, like like you said th- this is some a, a mix uh where you know you still keep part of your uh heritage but now you're adopting uh, other set of values and there's n- nothing wrong with one or an, or another i mean it's I, i think it's fantastic you know for us uh to to be able to enjoy a taco uh, and a taco stand which by the way i, I i've recently read that the taco is now the number one food in the united states So, come on. I, we gotta, yeah, we got a round of applause. 
<laughs> you know, I, I I love me a good taco, and it's it's so true because you know the word Taco Tuesday. Yeah, that like that that is now synonymous for your coworkers going out on Tuesday and you know really having uh you know an experience and hanging out with each other, and you know I see it here in San Francisco in areas like the Marina, which is you know predominantly very high tech workers, very affluent, uh, to the Mission, right to yeah. South of Market, which is Soma. And it's just a thing where it's a food that's becoming synonymous like pizza around the world. You know, I've, I've traveled a lot around the world and I've been to places. I've worked for companies who've had bases in Germany, bases in, you know, places in the Middle East, uh, the UK, uh, Brazil. And it, it's funny that everywhere you go, there's always a place that sells what they consider. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. Mexican style tacos. And. Uh, you're gonna get some funny tacos in Germany. I'm gonna tell you that much. I've seen them. Yeah, they're they're. I mean, what we call in Mexico doesn't is not the same, but it's um. Hey, it's a taco. You know, whatever. It's, yeah, you I know, lived I, in Tokyo for ten years. So and they're different. Tacos, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, sh shout out to my friend uh, Shota Ito La Sexta in Tokyo, one of the best Mexican places out outside of um uh, the U.S. and Tokyo. I'm oh, gonna go, go there next time. Thank you. Yeah, Shota, if you're yeah, listening. Tokyo is definitely uh, an interesting city. I think that's a that's a city where, you know, I was there uh, last October, and I think the thing that struck me the most was the uniformity and the cleanliness. It, yeah, an order. It can be a little much after a while. Yeah. But the, the, inter the, the interesting piece, though, is the subcultures. How there's this word in, in Japanese called otaku, right? And it's basically when you, when you are really into something, you throw your life into that commitment. And whether it's hip-hop, where I would be walking in the streets of Shibuya and I would see these Japanese kids with dreadlocks and baggy clothes and, and really dark tans and gold chains. And, yeah. You know, because re they really buy into the hip-hop culture. And, and it's, to, me, that, to me, it's fascinating because I think if everyone approached something that they really felt passionate about, like in the spirit of that, the Japanese and in the spirit of otaku, I think you know, they would be surprised on the outcomes and they'd be surprised in essentially what they could accomplish. They also don't have any problem with appropriating over there. So, like, appropriation, they're like, what's wrong? I'm totally just paying homage to this great thing. They don't mm -hmm. see it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we've seen it with the uh, with the Japanese cholos, you know, you, right, you yeah, know the, making homage to the yeah. LA culture, which is, I think, it's fascinating. Oh, I've I mean, always it's, wondered it's what, what, weird, but what Latinos think about that. That's interesting that you, you think it's cool. Yeah, I, I think it's it's funny. Right I think on. it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's like you know, some people take offense, and we've heard that cultural appropriation term here. So sure. like, come on, please. I mean, it's if you make tacos, if you go and you know, quote unquote, steal a oh, recipe, you make, but you make it better. I have no problem with that at all. Yeah, that that they got it's kicked just, out of town. That was just so yeah. Weird, yeah. I, I don't know if you heard about that, Armando, but we had an issue here in Portland with with that the cultural appropriation and blah blah. But it's. Um, Really? Yeah. Well, what was the issue? Was well, it similar to what Kendall Jenner experienced when she kind of had the Indian garments for that pep, you know, for that that Vogue cover that she was doing? Oh, or no, was no, it something no, no, that no, was that, more about the? It was more about food. It was a, a pair of gals mm. out of, uh, from Portland that traveled to Mexico, and I believe it was Colima or Guadalajara. I can't remember exactly where. And uh, they found out, you know, how to make tortillas. You know, this great tortilla. So they came back to the U.S. to Portland specific. And decided to make a business, which is, hey, fantastic. You just learn how to make tortillas. You're going to make it better, make a business out of it, out of a food cart or just like a, a VW bus. Something very art artisan. Uh, well, you know, there were some people up in arms. And let me tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't the, the Latino community. Uh, there were people up wow. in arms about cultural appropriation. It was all over, our, you know, free newspapers. Uh, you know, we can, we can mention names. But, and uh, you know. 
I and, and and the rest of her friends are just laughing in the background, like looking at all these people up in arms. I'm like, well, this is not right. How how dare they? You know the uh, what are they? The millennials and like, well, I, I thought it was great. Like, they, I guess and they gave some interview and they said something like, "We watched grandmothers make tortillas through the windows, and that's what set everybody off." And yeah. they were probably just playing with words. Yeah, I mean, I know. look, I look at it, I look at someone like like a Chef Rick Bayless, and you know, Chef Rick Bayless, I think he's you know he's obviously you know he's he's an American guy, but he's thrown himself into the the Mexico culture, yeah. and he, he has one of my favorite food travel shows. Oh, absolutely. You see that he's passionate about it, and is that that's not, is that appropriation because he's white? No, I think he's like you said, he's paying homage. So I'm not. I think people are very. It's it's an it's an environment right now where people are very quick to judge and very sensitive. And I see it. I mean, myself. I mean, to be honest, you know, as as being a, a person who has a tan skin, and you know, when I'm in board meetings and when I'm in investor pitches, I don't see myself in anyone. You know, but Absolutely, at the same time. Yeah. I'm not there to prove my worth. I'm not there to prove my smarts because the mere fact that I'm in the room should be enough to tell you that I know what's going on and I know what I'm talking about. So at that point, I'm always one of the first to, I'm myself, you know, if I am typically business casual uh, at all types of meetings, I'm not a type to wear a tie. I just like to be very authentic. And I think people appreciate that. And I think one person that I can kind of relate to is, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, and, and Gary is a person who, you know, is a very big Jets fan. He talks about it all the time. He got a lot of his start by starting uh, Wine TV, which was one of the first YouTube channels to essentially, you know, highlight wine and, and kind of bring wine to the masses and, and kind of make it something that, hey, it's not just for rich people. You can go buy some decent wine for like $12 a bottle. Yeah. And right. And so I think being authentic is something that people appreciate more. And I think they're able, you're, you're more relatable. And I think when you put your guard down like that, you can now, you can really get to what people are about. And I think putting yourself in people's shoes, which is to me, I think when I'm looking to invest in someone, I look at, do they have empathy? Because to me, empathy is the strongest signal of some of intelligence because it's something you've had a lot, a lot, a lot of life experience. But it also tells me that you can see it from my perspective and I can see it from your perspective. And to me, there's nothing more fascinating than hearing someone's story, but then also me trying to find a way, how can I relate to this person? And when you find that wavelength, I mean, at that point, that's when magic happens. And then, you know, exactly. That's when, that's really when a relationship grow. clicks in. Hey, Armando, let me make a, a quick um, uh, shout out to one of our sponsors, Morris and D'Angelo, CPA is extraordinaire. Where accounting is never boring, the price is not based on time, where customers decide the value to them. Uh, just visit them, their website, cpadudes.com slash startup radio. That's cpadudes.com startup radio. Whether slow fast, it is included. They do not charge or send invoices for phone calls, email, texts, or meetings. So again, more San D'Angelo. But uh, Armando, thanks. Uh, yeah, th this is a great in, um, insight. And, and like, like you were saying, you know, that, that part of the empathy, and that's where you know, you know, we also see you know, how do we click with customers? How do we click? Uh, you know, in, in particular, I'm, I'm, I'm the founder of a startup as well. And we've been in, this, in the same, you know, trying to pitch to investors. And obviously, we come from a Latino background, and we're trying to solve a humongous uh, Latino immigrant problem, you know, for 50 million Hispanic immigrants in the U.S. And it's, it's been really hard to try to, to, to get, um, you know, this, be, 
the big VC funds to understand number one the problem because you have you, you can't empathize something that you have never experienced. So big problem mm-hmm. for them. So you're not you can't put them to, and nothing to blame. I mean it's just it's a different life experience. So right from the get go, we already have a barrier that we're you know well I, I want to say you know different skin tone but also you know we're coming up with a solution to a problem that they don't e- they don't even know they exist and it's a large mm-hmm. large enough problem so I, I mean i totally see it with you and you know i recently just had a a, a pitch to a, a vc fund here in portland uh, and and i could see the faces and luckily we had a you know a couple of boosters in the crowd and mm-hmm. they try to explain in their own terms to their colleagues I was like look you know guys this is the the, the problem they, these people face Again, you know, it, it's not a problem that we, you know, you, you and I are educated, but also found out through just experience. So like, you know, how the migrants, you know, that come to the U.S. to do the hard work that nobody else wants to do, what kind of conditions they have. They don't have access to information, to technology, and that's what we're aimed to do, you know, simplify technology so they can utilize it at no cost, and they get the products that they already uh, need in, in, in their palms, you know, in their, in their devices. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, it's that to, to us has been the uh, the uphill battle, and we you know we, we on on the side you know we've been growing organically and you know we by the way we're streaming this live on, on our um, on our social media f- uh, feeds that are you know have been uh, just clearing house, so uh, we're pretty happy with the result. But again, it's just a part you know where, where we 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 really well, haven't. You know, it, it's tricky. It can be tricky, you know, because you know. Ultimately, it's we're gonna you know every investor that you add uh, is essentially needs to be a value add, and you yourself have to understand that you cannot let, for lack of a better word, desperation of funding allow you to take any type of money, allow you to take any type of you know any type of type of investment. I was talking to a, a French founder uh, recently, and you know the French government is really aligning itself into. Um, one, breaking into Silicon Valley. Um, I'm part of a, I'm an advisor at an accelerator called the refiners. Okay. The refiners was, the refiners was founded by Geraldine Lemure. She's the ex-wife of Loek Lemure, who is the founder of Le Web, which was one of the largest tech conferences in Europe. And uh, along with her and Carlos Diaz, um, they essentially set out to build a pipeline of French engineers and french founders into silicon valley so they can essentially build their relationships and allow them to build their relationships so that ultimately they can uh, attract funding well the tricky part is that you know the french government also wants a piece of the action right and that's how they see it they see that now as as more and more of, of their college graduates are going into the tech world and maybe not ignoring law and not ignoring you know to you know medical they're just more interested in this um, the French government's like, well, well, we'll give you money, um, but we're going to give you money. And obviously it's going to be the, the terms are going to be very beneficial for us. So I literally talked to a founder, he had a fantastic product. Um, essentially, it, led, it was a, a Q&A uh, testing uh, environment for your application. And I was like, OK, well, you know, you know, what do you who are your investors? What is what does this all look like? And really, the French government owned ninety percent of his company, and they had only given him a quarter million dollars. Oh wow! But because because he needed the money, and because he was like, you know what, I just need to pay some bills. I need to pay some of these engineers. I need to pay some of my guys. I'm going to take this funding. So it really left his cap table was really just messed up. And I had 
I, there was no opportunity for me to invest. You know, as much as I wanted to, I couldn't because I was like, you need to somehow buy them out or you need to figure out a way to dilute them to a point where you can then take outside investors because this is going to be a problem for you. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really smart guy. But, you know, that's it's, it's hard being an entrepreneur. You it's know what? Hard. I, I hear the same. Story. I just came back from a, um, uh, a week in Mexico City, you know, where the, the startup community has been thriving and growing tremendously. Exactly the same problem. So this is a forum. This this new project, the, the, Latino, star, the Latino Startup Founder Hour, it's, you know, trying to give us uh, founders and you know entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs a platform to connect. And what I hear is exactly the same. You, know, you just told us about France, uh, you know, verbatim in Mexico, where you know there's the appetite for risk, but um, there the, the 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 private sector you know wants to invest, but this, in the same terms. And you you know what you're going to work for me. I'm going to squeeze everything out of you. I'm going to own your company. And I, you know, we've, we've been giving conferences and talks. Say, look, you know, it's great. It's appreciated that you have the appetite for risk, you know, to, to go into this um, uncharted territories as an investor. But also you keep in mind that, you know, when you, you know, give those those terms, you're, you know, extingu- pretty much extinguishing the flame that, that entrepreneurial mm-hmm. vision that he, he or she had. So it's a, it's a risky proposition, and you know I think they're aligning themselves a little bit more with Silicon Valley. There's a couple of funds that are, have been working with Mexico City, but uh, I mean it's in its infancy and it's growing. It's it's getting there, but again, yeah, it's it, we're we're hearing the same echoes, and I think you know we we had some people in Colombia telling us exactly the same thing. Well, it's true. You know, uh, another accelerator that I advise is the Manos Accelerator, and I've been advising in there for almost four years, and that one's focused specifically on Latino entrepreneurship. Um, it's backed by Google uh, and their Entrepreneurship Center. Uh, the founder is Sylvia Flores. She's an amazing lady, and you know, I've been there, I've been, and I think I'm, they're on their like sixth or seventh cohort of startups, so I've seen probably 80 or 90 companies, and it's amazing to me the amount of talent that comes out of Latin America. In Mexico alone, I think 44% of the graduating degrees, I, I believe, are technical degrees, which Correct, to yeah. me is just a, it's like an insane statistic because if you compare that to the U.S. where it's like, I think it's like maybe 12%, what we're seeing is that there's this influx of amazing talent that can potentially disrupt Silicon Valley. But, you know, and I like to call it, you know, the you know, the brown wave of the future because it really is. And as more and more founders are coming into Silicon Valley, they're starting to realize like, hey, if there's gonna be barriers here, there's always gonna be an opportunity for me in Mexico. And I think now a lot of the funds and a lot of investors are basically just going straight to Mexico. Like 500 startups is obviously in Mexico City and there's a couple of other ones, but, and I think the talent is definitely there. Um, But, you know, what they really need is the mentorship, right? They need a lot of the, the people who've done it before, the lot people who've built companies in the yeah. past. And they just want to really, they just want to seek opinion to say, have you seen this problem before? If so, how have you attacked it? Or how have you solved it? Or did you ignore it? And it wasn't a big deal because really they just want to have someone that be a sounding board. But, you know, I think ultimately Manos themselves, I mean, it's in the hand, you know, it's in their name. They're, they're there to, you know, extend a hand. And uh, you know, to me, that's some of my favorite work. And, you know, through Manos, I met Sochi Birch. Uh, Sochi Birch is a woman who's married to Michael Birch. Uh, Sochi and Michael founded a social network called Bebo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Back in, yeah, back in 2009, and they sold it to AOL for, I believe, $800 million. Um, and they were one of the first networks, social networks to be acquired. 
the irony is they bought it back from AOL for a million dollars a few years ago. Oh my gosh! Um, you know what a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah, no, I don't know about AOL having the best uh, you know, M&A specialist, but you know the interesting part about Sochi is that you know she's a person who is from you know from East Oakland, and uh, I met her through Manos. She's also a founder of a social members club called The Battery here in San Francisco. Uh, the Battery is basically a group of a collective of folks who are some in the industry, some are not, but it's basically a members club um, where I happen to be a member through her invitation. But in the battery, you're going to see people on the level of, you know, Mark Zuckerberg to the people on the level of, like Stephen Curry, the basketball player, to artists, to comedians. And really what she's trying to create, she's trying to create a collective of minds that she thinks is going to help, uh, you know, shape the future of tomorrow. Uh, and to me, you know, her being a, a Latina from, you know, from the Bay and, you know, moving to Oxford and getting educated in some of the best schools in, in the UK and then meeting her husband and, and kind of having this story. To me, it's inspirational. So that's another thing about, you know, when I tell founders and, 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 and people who are really hungry, is like surround yourself by people that inspire you because ultimately they have some insight or they're going to make some introduction that can really change the rest of your life. And to me, she's been that person. She's, I mean, she's been really phenomenal to me. But again, you know, it's all about aligning yourself in the right places at the right times with the right people. And I think you got to be really careful about who you surround yourself with, because it's those five people that you surround yourself with on a daily basis who really are and shape who you are. Correct. Yeah, no, no, no. That's and and again, this is also a platform for that. You know, for inspiration, we want to find the next Mark Brown, Mark Zuckerberg. Which you know, it's it's a it's a topic of conversation. Like I say we've seen a tremendous amount of potential in Colombia and Ecuador and Venezuela. You know, just go. The only difference that we see is that the the, the stars are not aligning themselves. So, you know, like we have here in, in in the U.S. You know, the the potential mentors with the talent, with the money, and with the resources, well, or not necessarily money, but the resources to make that happen. You know, a project, you know, go from A to C in no time. I mean, I want to see the next Uber being built in Mexico or in Madrid uh, or out of Colombia. And I think we're going we're gonna to see it pretty soon. I mean, it's just a matter oh, of time until we, you know, we get those fine tunes, you know, everything just set to the right caliber. And, and you're gonna see just you know that that potential. I mean, I'm just seriously just coming back from Mexico, and I've been going back and forth. It's uh, it's been amazing the the ecosystem, how the col the collaboration between other companies, something that didn't happen before, you know, in my generation. Well, the, I think the interesting thing about Mexico City right now is blockchain. I think blockchain is really an opportunity. You know, I think the way that blockchain has taken off and you know the crypto is is really to me um, phenomenal. Um, and obviously, you know, everyone's talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum and all this stuff. And I mean, I'm a person who's who's had crypto a crypto wallet probably for like the last eight years. So I've been a bit lucky with that. <laughs> but, you know, I think the beautiful thing about that is that it gives an opportunity for people to exchange payments outside of their government's potential legacy systems. There's a company that I was actually advising called Saldo.mx. Saldo.mx is a company that essentially was solving the problem of sending money back to Mexico, right? So okay. that problem is worth, where, what does Western Union do? Western Union is, to me, one of the worst companies in the world. And I'm sorry, <laughs> I, hope they're not your, I hope they're not your sponsor. No, they're not. And, and, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to solve the exact same problem. So, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, yeah, I mean, so, we're trying to tumble so you down. Under, so yeah. you understand. You understand. Oh, it. absolutely. So he, was, he, he built his technology on the Ripple protocol. And, you know, because he 
said that, well, if I try to go to the banks, there's just so many ways that they want to interfere and, and really just take their cut. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, and so I think blockchain, again, is, is a disruptive force because people just think about it. Oh, it's, it, people don't even spend their Bitcoin. They don't do anything with it. It was like, yeah, because right now it, it, it's so volatile that it's like I'm afraid to spend my Bitcoin because I don't want to lose my investment or I don't want to potentially lose out on tens of thousands of dollars. On but the upswing, if you yeah. really look Exactly. So if you really look at it, it's just a way for you to have a verified transaction. That's Absolutely. really what it does. It verifies it. It verifies that something happened at some moment in time in a certain way. And it's all and instant. Other- yeah. Exactly and, exactly. and way more secure than any other technology. So let, let, let me make another break you know, with uh, another of our sponsors, precisely Porkbun. Si necesitas dominios de web, eh, páginas web o, o comercio electrónico, es Porkbun donde tú puedes eh, you know, eh, encontrar todo tu, tu, todas tus necesidades para abrir tu empresa y este bueno bueno todo todo mundo ha escuchado de los dominios de .com .net .org pero sabes que pues ya hay la, la posibilidad de nombrar a tu startup con un nombre un poco más catchy eso es lo que Porkbun hace contáctalos directamente en Porkbun p o r k b u n .com diagonal startup radio y agarran su dominio web. Eh, sorry, sorry, Armando, but yeah, I mean, this is, um, you know, we're talking about blockchain and, and it's, it's 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 a fascinating chapter. I mean, again, we're also, you know, doing so, you know, some some parts of our protocol uh, utilizing that to solve the the problem for 50 million migrants here in the U.S. And uh, it, it's been challenging, like you said, uh, you know, trying to work you know not work around the banking system but just try to eliminate the inefficiency in the market which are the, the banks you know the the clearing houses you know especially trying to do a foreign transaction so it's uh, it's interesting to hear your perspective you know and, and how you know what's your experience with uh, with this technology and what have you seen not only in the, in the valley but in, in mexico and try to try to use this type of technology to solve you know the you know a larger problem that we have in the community Yeah, and I think, you know, I think the interesting part is that even our own government does not know what to do. I mean, in January, you know, the SEC said, you know what, fine, you can have an ETF and you can have a trading house and, and trade crypto, but you have to remove the word blockchain from your name. And there was three companies that they specifically pointed out because those three companies were about to go into an ICO, right? An initial yeah. coin offering, right? And the initial coin offering essentially... Uh, they curved and they stopped because of something simple as the word blockchain. To them, it's very intimidating because it's going to disrupt their system in such a way that it they don't they really don't know what to do with it. Because if you look at you know when I try to explain Bitcoin to my mom, you know I love I love her. You know shout out to Guadalupe M. Osuna. Um, Saludos, señora Guadalupe like, Osuna. Un saludo yeah, desde Portland. Like, She's always like, Mijo, what is what is what is Bitcoin? All the because you know she's actually a so she's a school administrator, right? Basically, the head secretary at an elementary school in, in, in Logan Heights, and um, she's like, what is what is this Bitcoin? All the teachers are talking about it. I was like, well, mom, if I gave you uh, a five dollar bill and a one hundred dollar bill, the only reason you believe that one is worth more than the other is because our shared illusion, right? And she's like. Okay, yeah, but, they're, but they're both, they weigh the same, it's the same paper, there's nothing different about it. But with Bitcoin, you have to solve a problem, and not only does this, and, and not only does this problem have to be solved, but there is a finite amount 
So there is no infinite. The U.S. government could print dollars all day long, all day long. That's what causes the inflation and the, all these ups and downs. But, you know, really, Bitcoin is a deterministic way for you to that, that solving this 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 problem in, in, in the sense of we know that it's real. We know that it's verified because it's simple math. It's I mean, not simple per se, but it's, yeah. it's mathematically it's mathematical equations that are ultimately giving us the answer and someone verifies that someone gave that answer and then they earn uh quote unquote a bitcoin and she's like okay so then uh so she's like, so where can i spend it i was like well that's another part of the problem is that you know while these online retailers are now starting to accept bitcoin it's not until she's going to be able to spend it at the local supermarket that i, I feel it's really going to take off and it's really going to be you know take you know get to that point where Ultimately, she can, uh, you know, really start to adopt it herself because she's really interested. I mean, I, you know, I opened up a Coinbase wallet for her. I put her first Bitcoin in there and she just looks at it. She just opens the app and just looks <laughs> at it. And I was like, I was like, you got to spend this. She's like, I don't want to. And why does it go up and down so much every day? I was like, because people are just holding it. They're not spending it. Um, but yeah, so I think it's funny for her because she's, you know, she's, she's, in, she's at this age where like, she kind of got forced into technology, right? Technology just kind of hit her upside the face, right? It's just like, oh, technology is here. I need a smartphone. I need emojis. I need yes. to send text messages. Facebook. I need to download that. Instagram. App. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. It's, and, and she's adopting it, I mean, a lot quicker than my father, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, my father just is learning how to send emojis. And so I'm like, Dad, I don't know what four birds and two caterpillars and a smiley face mean. He's like, oh, you don't? Oh, well, you know, I don't. I was just sending. I'm just sending you the emojis. So it's just, it's just funny to see how they're interacting with technology. Well, on the other end, I got my nieces and nephews, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, who are coding already, building their yeah. first apps, built their first computers. Like, it's insane. I'm kind of like in the middle, where like I can see where my two-year-old nephew goes up to the television and tries to swipe the screen like it's an iPad. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen that too. Yeah, with my daughters, you know, especially when they were younger too. Yeah, you look looking at the screens on the airport. I'm like, hey, this thing doesn't work. Like, no, honey. Yeah, no. my parents are obsessed with the searching with voice. Oh, and I'm just oh, like, I'm like that. Really, come on, type it out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, it all revolves like 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 you were saying in in, in in faith. I mean, that's what's called fiat money. You know, once we see you know the people tr really trust, and it happened with the credit cards. I. I mean, I'm not that old, but I, I remember reading about it, like how the credit card industry came about. Like, well, people are like, well, this is money in a plastic, well, you know, I'll start swiping it. And look at us now. Uh, obviously, technology is moving much, much faster. You know, we're adopting, you know, I, I, you know, throughout all the demographics, you know, you know, not, not only uh, nationalities, but also age groups. Everybody's, you know, trying to adopt the, the latest technology. And once we prove that it's safer, that it's more convenient. That's when we see, the, you know, the, the real takeoff on a, on a particular application. I mean, I mean, we're banking on this. We're really hoping that we're going to have a, a transactional uh, application or transactional mode that doesn't require to go through many intermediaries. It's fast, cross-border, secure, and simple, and it's ready for the masses. So once we see that, I mean, it's just going to be. Uh, I know it's going to be a bloodbath for the Western unions of the world, and we don't know what they're going to do. Quite honestly, we don't care. Uh, yeah. I just really, really hope that we can democratize technology. That, that's you know that, that that's been kind of like our motto too here in our startup. Yeah, I think that's definitely uh, that's the that's I think those types of values are very important because 
you know, when you when you look to hire people, you know, you want to bring people who, you know, the word culture is kind of thrown around a lot in Silicon Valley. And, you know, culture is not, you know, ping pong tables and shuttle buses and whatever else. Those are tactics. You know, I think culture is when you really believe in the vision, right? Facebook's culture or, you know, shared value was like connecting the world. And everyone who yeah. joined Facebook was it was was saying, I'm buying into this. So, you know, when you look at culture in the valley, it's in a lot of ways it's become something that people throw around to, to in, in their deck and they say, Oh, well, yeah, we have a great culture at our company because every Thursday we have happy hour. Yeah. But, we have beer know, in the you, fridge and yeah. Taco Tuesday. Yeah, Taco it, Tuesday. It, it's not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, it, and it's really not that because, you know, I've seen companies who are working on problems who essentially are now trying to quantify culture because culture, while it's a set of values, it's also a set of, it's the, what the people's personalities that go into a company, right? And those companies, those people's personalities and the teams that they're on make microcultures. And ultimately, you know, they're going to have this opportunity to to really become this like well-built, well-oiled machine in, in the sense that if I believe truly in what I'm doing and I'm really into it, whether it's a company that's delivering food because that's a logistics problem, right? Or whether it's a, a company who is, you know, solving for, you know, HR benefits, I think ultimately it's not about the product, it's about the people. And I think that's one thing where I'm, when I see a lot of decks and, you know, in front of me, um, I see that word thrown around and I go, well, well, what, so tell me what is your, what is your strategy? How, what is the culture of your company? And a lot of them, they just start to explain to me tactics. I was like, no, but what is, what is your vision? Like, what are you really trying to do? And what are you really trying to change? Um, and a lot of them sometimes don't have the answer. I think they just put, they just see it as a checkbox that they need to have when they're presenting their product or, or their business to, you know, an investor. And, and to me, I think once we start to get away from that and really start to focus on the values and cause you know, ultimately I invest in people, right? I, I say, you know, Edgar, you may not, this company may not work out, but I believe in you. And I believe that you, the next company that you do, you're going to hit a home run or the third company or the fourth company or the fifth company. It's essentially believing that someone has that. It the the grid. To, yeah. To, to make it happen, exactly. You know, and, and that's something we stress here, you know, and, and, and the learnings that we've had in the, in the past couple of years, just pitching and building our company, uh, you know, we, we already have some investors and, you know, we, we shared this anecdote, like we went to our original investors and said, man, how, why do you believe in this? I mean, why, you know, we hit a roadblock a couple of years ago trying to raise some angel capital just to keep you know to just to make this happen and, and, and he just came with the nicest words ever said you know to to us and like look you know we, i believed in you guys i you know we met through you know on a lunch i jumped and said let's do it i, I just i just believed in you i i, I don't know what but, but yeah it, it sounds great your project but i knew you you were the guys ready to to deliver so like hey you know that gave us just the fuel that we needed just to keep going and you know getting more notes and you know getting other bumps in the road and here we are a couple of years later moving growing and it's it's, it's been um, that, that's what we wanted also to to share with people hey look you, you're gonna f face all these um, adversities but people need to believe in you and you need to connect with that and I, I we're going back to the you know the empathy part that you were mentioning Armando early on you know you, you just you just know when you click with someone even if you just met them absolutely absolutely and you know so but I think ultimately also when you're you know when you are looking to build your team you want to have a balance right um, and not to say that there's no there's not there's there's no place for it to having you know 
and I don't like to use the word non-technical. I just I, I used to like I, I like to use the word business. If you have two business founders, and you don't have a, a a founder who essentially is helping you build that product, that is not a bad thing because there are so many solutions now where you can essentially build a business and have an outsource development team. But it's your because you're ultimately still the one that's driving that vision. And, you know, I think a lot of especially at the seed stage, which is where I get in, um, you know, for, I don't mind it. I think ultimately it's fine because as long as you believe in that idea and you are creative enough to at least build a mock up, build a prototype, you know, build a V1 or at least a minimum, an MVP at least, then, you know, it's OK because they're just I think the way that it's like you're saying technology is being democratized, it's also being commoditized. Yeah. And so the development work and I mean, it's so easy to spin up an AWS server nowadays. It, you can literally do it in a matter of seconds. It's so easy to, you know, go on Upwork or go to Topdoll or whichever one of these you know companies are there to have freelance developers and freelance designers build your product, make it happen. Because I just want to see, do you have the creativity? Do you have the wherewithal? Do you have, you know, the guts and the grit to really just say, hey, I am not a technical guy. I'm a business guy. I know exactly what I want to build. And I actually did it because this is because in, in maybe this kind of like loose way. But ultimately, I have something to present to you. And not only do I have something to present to you, but I also have traction. And that's the problem right now is that five years ago where investors were coming in and giving you a million dollar seed, you could own you can basically raise money off in a deck. Right. You can basically raise money off some slides. Yeah. Now. It's like they want you to have, or I want you to have, a few hundred users. I want you to have some traction. If you're an, uh, uh, you know, a B two C product, I wanted you to have maybe, you know, uh, people some paying you some money. You know, if you are, uh, you know, a company that's in enterprise space, right? I want to see that. Yeah, you have some some sort of recurring revenue. I'm not saying you have to have, you know, seven figures. I just want to see some sort of traction. And I think that's kind of where it's becoming a little bit tricky, a little bit tough. And, you know, hearing from your own you know, story and, and, and hearing your own experiences, it sounds like you have that. So I think ultimately, I think you're doing the right things because that's essentially what does attract investors is saying, hey, they're doing it without us. They're doing it with or without us. Correct. And to yeah. us, that, that really speaks volumes, not only to your character, but it also speaks volumes of your product that people are saying, hey, I really like this. And it's the social proof that a lot of investors like to see. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We we saw that early on, and you know, one uh, that that was one of the, our ex early experiences when we started uh, this fantastic journey. You know, trying trying to go out there and do the pitching, and obviously, we're not building a company; we're just pitching and pitching, and, and then getting no's. And I'm like, well, well, you know, let's let's scrap this. You know, we just wasted six months, seven months out of our life, you know, trying to attract um, uh, investment. Let, let, let's just build it. Let's just go ahead, scrape it by, and 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 build a product. You know, you do the MVP. You know, do the first prototype, and show something that is actually moving. You know, that that proves our business case. And yeah, absolutely, we saw it here in Portland. I mean, we didn't have um, uh, you know the the resources to go to Silicon Valley start pitching. I mean, we just wanted to keep it local. But that's uh, you know the, uh, that that's also you know part of the learning experience that we wanna yeah. share. And it's like, look, you know, just don't 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 focus too much on the investment side, because if you rely on the investment, then you may you're, you're starting the wrong foot. I I believe. Yeah, and I think you know if you don't mind, I'm, I'm maybe gonna spend a, maybe a minute or two just giving the listeners some tips on. Absolutely. Know, how, yeah, to yeah. Meet, how to how to meet angel investors? How do you pitch them? And just really just kind of give them like again 
I don't, I don't want to say it's a one-on-one, but I think it's it's the, the way that I've seen it work and the way that I, I've seen things happen. Um, you know, the first thing is you got to understand, like, who are the types of angel investors, right? There's usually individuals or groups, and, you know, you can be part of a syndicate, like on AngelList, um, because we're investing our own funds. You know, what we're looking for is, you know, one, a person who has that confidence, right, has that empathy. Uh, they're trustworthy. Um, they don't have to have done it before, but ultimately, you know, we want to see like the right attributes and personality types. And most of the time, what you're going to do, even in your local city, I'm telling you, there are industry events um, that are there, either on Eventbrite, um, either on Evite, or maybe even on Facebook groups. You're going to just just search, and you'll see that there are. Go to these meetups, meet the people, talk to folks. And I would say 95% of the people are going to be people pitching their product and the 5% are going to be people like that can invest in it. But ultimately um, you want to position yourself and they're like, by putting yourself in front of these folks. So, you know, like I said, it's, it's, I think Eventbrite and, and Facebook groups are definitely a really fantastic way. And Facebook events are really fantastic way for you to kind of just start to see what's around in your city. Um, obviously online platforms, right? There's, angel list but then there's also things like gust gust uh, gus yeah. yeah gust there's angel investment uh, network.us there's us angel investors so these are obviously places where you can go and you can see directories of these people who are obviously willing to look at your idea look at look at it as an opportunity because it really is an opportunity that's really what you're saying is like, say hey i have an opportunity for you i'd like to tell you more about it um and then you know if you're going to really look at some events you know, there's Startup Grind. Startup Grind runs events, man, I think they run it monthly around the world. Um, if you're a younger person and you're in school right now, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad you're listening. But, you know, you know, most universities now have, you know, kind of their own startup conferences or their own demo days. Usually they're run by the entrepreneurship program in the business school. Um, there's also the ACA Summit. Um, there's also the GEC uh Simo Disa Venture Train Summit. So there's a lot of, you know, places that you can go to kind of, you know, again, meet people who are like-minded. Then there's, of course, angel investment networks and there's different groups. But, you know, ultimately, um, you know, when you're fundraising and it's always good to have one or two advisors already in the back pocket because, again, what you're doing is you're telling us like, hey, I've already methodically thought about my idea. I've already approached people who I believe are thought leaders in the space and I've al they've aligned with my vision. And to us and to me, that really tells me a lot. That tells me, hey, there's someone else who also believes in this person who's also willing to put their name, their photo, their email yeah. on their pitch deck. And some which skin is a in big the game. Deal. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a big deal because once I see that pitch deck and I see their, I look at the, honestly what I do and I don't know if this is good or bad, but this is my thing. I go to the very end and I just look for the advisors. I say, all right, who's in it? And then I'll ping those advisors directly. Sometimes I'll back channel. Sometimes I won't. Sometimes I'll tell the founder, hey, I'm a, I'm a back, I'm a, you know, I'll introduce me to your advisors. Other times if I'm interested, but I want to, you know, lead them on too much and get them too excited because I'm really excited. I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll go to the advisors themselves directly and kind of get a background history. Um, yeah, it's just yeah, like, it's, think, it's uh, like a form of reference check. Absolutely. It, it, it really is. It really is. And then, you know, you also have to be a really good presenter. And that's the kind of piece where people sometimes tend to forget is that there's going to be a time and there's going to be a place where you're going to have to present. And you got to know your stuff. You got to know the right, you know, uh, statistics. You got to know the right 
reference points so that you sound very educated in your space because you know ultimately you know we want you to know that you've done the research and you know you're going to be able to tell a compelling story and one that's not going to drag on too long right we want you to get straight to the point you're usually going to have maybe 10 minutes at these events right um and and always cover the money don't say oh come up to me after uh to to see how much money i'm raising no cover the money right there yeah right there because that's your time to shine and too many uh, i see especially a lot of young entrepreneurs they're they, they, they don't want to do the ask like no ask for the money and ask for more than what you think you need because it's never enough right because you're always yep. it's just an angel investment right so always ask for more you get you have to be prepared to answer these questions and ultimately you know you're not there to close a sale on the pitch what you're there is you're there to build a relationship because that's the name of the game Correct. Yeah, nobody brings the checkbook right there unless I mean it's something extraordinary. But you know the the, the rule is you know you it's just a presentation format and you just want to get them excited about your product and and come to talk to you. It's like okay, now really want to l learn more. But the the basics you already covered. So uh, you know financials, which you know I, again I also stress this out. You know be, being also an economist and you know go coming from a financial background. It doesn't matter what your idea is, how sexy the technology is, an investor is looking to invest money. And mm -hmm. he wants, he or she wants to see a return. So you ultimately, you're right, Armando, you, you got to cover that. Okay, I'm gonna, you, your idea is phenomenal. You're a great guy or a great gal. I'm going to give you money. How do I see my money back? You got to be able to answer those questions because it's ultimately a money relationship. Um So we're coming to the end, Armando. Thank you so much, man, for uh, for taking the time, you know, to 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 get to know us. Uh, where can I? Where, where can people find you? Where can where can they? Where, where can we send them to you? There's a couple of places you can find me. Um, one is on Twitter, uh, and that's a o six one nine six one nine is the homage to San Diego. It's the uh, area code. Uh, you can also visit meadow.ventures, m e a d o w dot b e n t u r e s. I have a contact form on there. Just send me a note. Um, I'm also a person where I put my phone number out there. So you can always text me, 347-415-0867. I take unsolic unsolicited pitches every single day. I get decks every single day. I don't mind it. Um, but, of course, always introduce yourself. Say, hey, this is so-and-so. I'm working on this, you know, this product. I'd love to talk to you more about it. Very simple. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, always available to meet up for coffee. So, you know, for the most part, if I can't help you, I'll find someone who will. Uh, and that's what the name of the game is. You know, Silicon Valley is all about the connections and the connectors. And uh, I really pride myself on that. Awesome, man. Th thank, thank you so much, man. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be, we'll, we'll be, we'll be pinging you. Everything, you know, we're going to post on Facebook, you know, for people to see and be able to contact you. Armando, thank you so much again. You know, uh, hopefully, you know, you come to visit us in Portland soon or the next time we're in San Fran, we'll, we'll, we'll ping you for coffee or, or beer. Even better. Yeah. Yeah, even better. <laughs> All right, Armando, a pleasure. Thank you so much. This is Latino Founder Hour. You've been listening to the Latino Founder Hour podcast with your hosts, Edgar Navas, founder of Clica, and Claudia Cardenas. El programa Latino Founder Hour es grabado en las instalaciones de NetSpace en el estudio Bigfoot Podcast en la hermosa ciudad de Portland. Our audio engineer, mixer, and podcast editor is Alain Beausoleil. Diseñador de logo, Carolyn Main. Our network logo was designed by Jessica Chan. Diseñador de sitio web, Cameron Grimes. Our production assistant is Chelsea Lancaster. Tema de música, Funning and Sunning, de Kevin MacLeod. 
Cree en ti mismo. Sueña en grande y confía en el universo. De Marta Leticia y Silvia Romero.